Verse 18 of Revelation chapter 2. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished, that's gleaming, glistening bronze, says this, I know your deeds and your faith and service and perseverance, and that your deeds of late are greater than at first, but I have this against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts and I will give to each of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, hold fast what you have and until I come. He who overcomes and keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations." And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The first three chapters of the book of Revelation uh, deal with these seven churches. And uh, Jesus speaks to them on the basis of the way he revealed himself to John the Apostle. He revealed himself to, the John, to John in all his glory. He's the glorified Christ who's speaking to his churches. His, his uh, head is marked by the character of God. It's white as snow. His eyes possess the knowledge of God and the holiness of God. His feet shine like gleaming, gleaming, glistening bronze and mark him as invincible and unconquerable and irresistible. He speaks with a voice so mighty that it drowns out all other voices. His mouth wields the word of God. His face is aglow with the glory of God. He holds the keys to the destiny of the people of God. He reigns supreme over the enemies of God and in these chapters he speaks to the church of God now what we want to do is we want to look back at some of these verses first we'll look at verses 18 and 19 of chapter 2 and he says and to the angel of the church in Thyatira write the son of God and by the way out of all the book of Revelation this is the only verse in the book of Revelation where Jesus is identified as the Son of God, and he is so to the church at Thyatira, and there may be a reason for that. He says, the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, his feet are like burnished bronze, 
says, hey, I know your deeds. I know your love and your faith and your service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than your deeds at first. Now, we need to talk about Thyatira, the city, because as Jesus speaks to all of these cities and, and these churches, there are characteristics about the city that are also true about the church, and he addresses those things. Thyatira was not an important town, not like Ephesus or Smyrna or Pergamum. It was a city of working-class people. Uh, I grew up in a town like that. I grew up in a textile town in Stonewall, Mississippi, not far up the road from here, about 100 miles. We had a cotton mill in our town. The cotton mill built all the houses in town. The cotton mill owned the store in the town. We took a bale of cotton. Just They would bring it in, buy bales, bring the bales of cotton in, put them in the warehouse, and we'd take a bale of cotton and, and through the process of time and through the plant itself, it would come out as a big roll, many bales of cotton would come out as a big roll of blue denim. And they did that from 1868 to 2002. At its height, the cotton mill employed 900 people in a little town that only had 1,200 people living in it. It was a town of working class people. These were working class people that lived in Thyatira. And each one of these they did trades. They had trades. And the people who did the trades had to belong to a trade guild, a union, a club, a group. It was required of these people. And so let me list some of those. There were those who worked with cloth. There were those who worked with leather, those who worked with pottery, with bronze, those who break bread and sold it. There was even a trade guild for men and women who sold slaves. So how do we know this is true? Well, we have some biblical evidence of this. As a matter of fact, in Acts 16, 14, we're introduced to a lady who was from the city of Thyatira. Her name was Lydia, and she's described as a seller of purple. She would, have, she would have been a part of this city, a part of this background. So the historical background is important. And we need to talk about the special circumstances that faced the believers living in this town. So what we do know is that in that time, unless a person belonged to one of these trade guilds, they couldn't have a job. They couldn't work. We also know about these trade guilds that each one of these guilds had its patron god, so they had all of these Greek gods, as you know, these temples that we've been talking about in some of these cities. Well, every job had its own god assigned to it. And so what people would do when they uh, got the job, they would pledge allegiance to the god or the patron god of the job. They were expected on occasion to attend some of the worship services that related to the worship of that God, to participate in some of the meals, the, the sacred meals that they observed in, in the worship of that God. And whenever they did, there was always excessive immorality also associated. Some of these gods, by their very name, had immorality associated with it. So how does this relate to us today? Well, it relates to us because, as you know, some of us are more connected to our uh, ability to get ahead than we are to Christ. What if, let's just say, what if uh, the government said, okay, 
you people who get your Social Security check, if you want to keep getting your Social Security check, then you're going to have to deny Christ. You can no longer go to church and identify with Christ. Rather, you're going to have to identify with the patron God of Social Security in order to keep getting that check. It'd be hard. You'd be in a hard position. It would be a difficult position. I'm just saying that because I'm, I'm showing you the circumstances these people were living in and the challenges that they faced. And so what Jesus said to them is in chapter 2, verse 25, he said, what you need to do is you need to hold fast what you have until I come. And the holding fast is to their commitment. So we want to talk about that commitment first. Jesus to these people in Thyatira, he called for commitment regardless of the cost. There's no room for compromise in the Christian life. Let me tell you about one man who in the history of our own country was tempted toward compromise. James was born in Hamilton, Missouri. He was one of 12 children raised in poverty on a small farm. His father worked the land for six days during the week. And on Sunday, his father preached at a small church for no pay. James got his first job in a general store, saved enough money, and eventually bought a butcher shop, and he owned the butcher shop. James' butcher shop could have been very successful, but in order to get the business of the largest hotel in town, James was asked to do one simple thing. Every week, he needed to, to bribe the chef or the cook of the hotel by buying him one bottle of whiskey every week. And if, if he bought that one bottle of whiskey every week, the hotel would buy his meat, and that would keep James' butcher shop in business. That violated James' conviction growing up as he did in a Christian home, and he would not buy the whiskey for the cook, and so the hotel would not buy his meat, and his butcher business failed. Later in life, he often said, I lost everything that I had, but I learned never to compromise. Maybe you're facing a similar challenge to your conscience and to your faith. What should you do? Should you risk everything to be faithful to Jesus? Well, James did. And God later honored James for being committed regardless of the cost. Some of you already know this story. When James uh, left the business world, 17 Hundred stores across America carried his name across the front door as a testimony that God honors commitment regardless of the cost. His name was James C. Penny or J.C. Penny. Jesus still calls for commitment regardless of the cost. Now let's put that into practical application. Perhaps you're a college student or you're thinking about going to college and you've been encouraged by your friends to join a certain fraternity. They say it's the in crowd on campus and if you want to be part of the in crowd then you need to join. But you know that by joining that fraternity you're going to have to compromise your commitment to Jesus. If you join you can be somebody on campus. If you refuse you could be branded as an oddball. What should you do? Well Jesus calls for commitment regardless of the cost. Well, let's put it in another setting. You're an up-and-coming executive in your company. The boss likes you. You have a chance at a big promotion. But to get that promotion, there are a few social events that you'll have to attend. The company bigwigs will be there. You know the liquor will fl flow freely. And you know to get that promotion, you'll have to make a good impression with these company bigwigs. You also know that you'll have to compromise 
your commitment to Christ to get that job and maybe to keep it, what should you do? Well, Jesus calls for commitment regardless of the cost. We've got some young girls sitting down here and some a young girl sitting out there and you got this boyfriend. He's not a Christian. You like him a lot, but he takes you places you know a Christian ought not go. He keeps asking you to do things that you know you shouldn't do. You want to hang on to him because all the girls are dying to date him, to keep him. You know that you'll have to compromise your commitment to Jesus and the first time you tell him no, you lose him. What should you do? Well, Jesus still calls for commitment regardless of the cost. You see how we're applying what Jesus was saying to the people in Thyatira. Hold fast what you have until I come. Jesus calls for commitment regardless of the cost. And then he said to them in verse 20, But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray, so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her immorality. And then verse 24, But I say to the rest in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Here's number two. Jesus calls for, co for commitment regardless of the conflict. Now Jezebel... If you know anything about the Old Testament, Jezebel was a woman in the Old Testament who was a pagan woman who worshipped pagan gods, and she married the king of Israel. The king of Israel should have never married her, but he did. And by marrying her, she influenced him away from his own, if he ever had any to begin with, she influenced him away from commitment to the God of heaven. The Bible says... He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. This is Ahab, who was the king of Israel. Ahab also made the Asherah. This was a wooden symbol of a female deity that they worshipped. And in worshipping that, she was the goddess of fertility. And in worship, and at that, those worship services, there was much immorality. And so thus Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, than all the kings who were before him. And of Ahab... Her husband, the Bible says, Surely there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, incited him. He acted very abominably in following idols according to all the Amorites had done whom the Lord cast out before the sons of Israel. So likewise in Thyatira, there's this lady who calls herself a spiritual leader, a prophetess. That's a nice name that people give themselves today. A prophet or a prophetess because it gives them clout. It seems to give them some spiritual authority. And when I see them, they're usually doing a lot of this. This is the way I want today. My wife and I talk about how they use their hands. So I just want you to be, just be careful of those ladies that use their hands on and preach on TV. Well, like Jezebel in the Old Testament, uh, she had a following. And she was encouraging these people, saying, hey, it's okay to compromise your commitment to Christ. It's okay to go to these festivals. You, you, you got a job, you know, you got a family to feed. You can go and you can be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and still eat uh, at these pagan festivals and still participate in their, in their parties and do all these things. It's okay for you to do. And, and Jesus is saying, it's not okay for you to do. 
And so Jesus saying, also says here, he, he chastises the church here. He says, you tolerate her. You've let her be in your church and you've let her teach this when you know this is not true. And so Jesus is calling for commitment regardless of the conflict. Even if you have to stand up and oppose her, you need to do this. Jesus says in verse 21, I gave her time to repent and she does not want to repent of her immorality. So I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. That sounds like an Old Testament passage of Scripture. doesn't sound like something you would hear coming out of the mouth of Jesus, but this is coming out of the mouth of Jesus. And here's number three. Jesus warns that he will cleanse his church of the uncommitted. There is a limit to the patience of our Lord. There are certain commitments that he wants us to have and by the way we talk a lot about end time judgment we're all afraid of end time judgment it's coming end time it's coming the end time judgment one of the things we need to be concerned about in the church is end time judgment what does that mean well, that means the Lord can pour out his judgment or his discipline on my life today. He doesn't have to wait till the end of time. You'll notice he said, I gave her time to repent. And she does not want to repent. So what does he say he will do? He said, I'll cast her on a bed of sickness. That's what he says he will do. It's discipline. It's discipline from the Lord. And it gets worse and worse as you read the passage. And so there were two groups in the church that had been corrupted by this prophetess. First, there were those who he called his servants. They had been seduced, deceived into following her lifestyle. And Jesus calls for repentance from them. And then there are those who are her children, her converts. And you see what he threatens to do with them. He says, I will kill them with pestilence. And it would come about in such a way that the church would clearly know that this was a judgment from God. So the Jesus we see in this verses, we see here, reminds us of the Jesus we see, over, cleansing the temple, overturning the money changers' tables, driving out those who bought and sold with a whip of cords. Just as Jesus cleansed his temple, a day is coming when Jesus will purge his church of those who are false, and he will refine his church in the fires of tribulation so that the uncommitted will fall away. Now, verses 26 through 29. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, so as I also have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Finally, Jesus promised to reward those who maintain their commitment to the end. In the book of Revelation, the promise is to the overcomer. The overcomer is the one who conquers. That's the word. It means to conquer. And so this is the one who maintains their commitment to Christ regardless of the cost. It wasn't easy to keep your commitment to Christ in Thyatira. And Jesus knew that. It may not be easy as you think, to keep your commitment today in Loosedale. And it may not get any easier to keep your commitment to Christ. 
But Jesus still calls for commitment regardless of the cost, commitment regardless of the conflict. I read the story some years ago of a young man in Turkey. He was 29 years old. He was a Christian in the city of Adana, Turkey, which was a large modern city in Turkey. He was leaving the Sunday services of his church. He was beaten unconscious. He said, they were trying to force me to deny Jesus and, and become a Muslim. But every, and every time I said, Jesus is Lord, they beat me more and more. And then one of them who was carrying a butcher knife threatened to kill me if I refused to deny my faith and return to the Lord, and, and return to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the situation some people face in the world today. Now, that was a story I read. But on our church website, I have a devotional site where people read it from all over the world. It's just really strange, the people I get contacted by. And several weeks ago, I was contacted by a young man named Ibrahim. He's a Muslim man who said, I came out to my family that I'm now a believer in the Lord Jesus. And he said, the persecution I've faced since has been so severe that several times I've denied Jesus. He was very ashamed and asked me what to do. How was I supposed to respond to a situation like that? that, that that's sort of out of my league, I thought. So what was I to tell him? What would you have told him? Would you have told him, well, you're not a Christian anymore if you've denied Jesus? And I thought, well, what about Peter? What about Peter when he was warming himself by the fire when Jesus was about to go to the cross and he denied that he knew him? So I reminded Ibrahim, I said, you remember Peter who denied the Lord Jesus and remember Jesus found him and restored him and you just pray the Lord will forgive you and you keep believing in Jesus. That's the encouragement that I thought to give him because I thought, you know, he's living in a very different situation than I'm in. What would I do if I was in the same situation? What would you do? Would you be committed to Jesus regardless of the cost? You may find yourself in that situation one day. So along with this is another promise. It's the promise uh, of a morning star. What is the morning star? Well, uh, we might be ought to ask rather than what is the morning star, we should be asking, who is the morning star? You, perhaps if you get up early enough in the morning, see the morning star in the, in the, in the sky. It's the really dark night sky when the whole world seems like it's been swallowed up by darkness. And now, I, we've done some research on that. I have personally because I'll, you know, we, we've, had, we've heard this expression, it's always darkest before dawn because that's the way it seems to us. Scientists tell us, in fact, it's not. It's never any darker than it is any other part of the night. It's just the fact that the stars begin to disappear from our sight. But just before dawn, just before the sun comes up, when it seems like it's so very dark that the whole world's been swallowed up by darkness, there's one star up there that reminds us that morning is coming. Well, in the book of Revelation, one of the good things about it is if you continue to read through it, you find that some of the symbols are revealed as you read. And in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, we find that Jesus said, I am the root and offspring of David, and I am the bright and morning star. So what Jesus promises to the church at Thyatira, he says, you may have a lot to lose by your commitment to me but you also have a lot to gain. You may lose your life by your commitment to Christ one day, 
but you will gain me. You will gain my presence. You will have a home with me. That's what Jesus promises. I don't know what you'll face. I don't know what kind of challenges you young people will face, what kind of practical challenges you face in your daily life on a day-to-day basis. And I can tell you, like Ibrahim, sometimes you will fail in your commitment to Christ. And what if you fail in your commitment to Christ? Does that mean you're a castaway? Does that mean you're done for? Well, I think, thankfully, God gives us a second chance. Sometimes we do make terrible decisions. And we choose sin over Christ, or we choose to go the wrong way. But you'll notice, I believe Jesus even said to the bad woman here, Jezebel, that he gave her a chance to repent. Maybe that's what he's doing for you today, giving you a chance to repent while you can. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. There's much left for us to say about it, much we don't understand. But we do know, Lord, that you are still speaking just as you spoke to the churches then that your spirit is still speaking to us, calling us to take stock of our commitment and see if we are being the people that you want us to be.